Good morning, church. Um, as James said, we are reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I want to encourage you to read along with me, so please open your Bibles. There's some up the back um, or your devices, but it will be up on the screen behind me as well. Uh, so that's Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Matt. I'm one of the student ministers here at church. How do I pray? And we'll uh, jump into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that we can meet together to learn from it. Lord, please work in us through your Spirit to change us and grow us to love you more and more, to know you better and to want to serve you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder how you feel about movie sequels. Are you a purist? Are you think one and done? You can't get better than the original movie? Or are you the sort of person that thinks, no, something can be improved? You want to see a second movie, if it was really good in the first place, you hope that they can recreate the magic again? There's lots of good movies, aren't there? There's uh, lots of good sequels. Toy Story 2, that's pretty good. Godfather 2, that's a bit of a classic sequel, isn't it? Controversial opinion, but I think Harry Potter number 2 is actually better than number 1. It's more exciting things, right? A big snake, it's, it's pretty cool. But there's also some pretty average sequels, aren't there? I don't know if you, any come to mind for you, but there's a movie called Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2. It was just nowhere near as good as a classic movie of Grown Ups 1. Speed 2, maybe, you know, throw it back a little bit. Shocking compared to the, the all-time Speed 1. Anchorman 2, that's sort of my style of movie. Maybe I need to broaden my horizons a bit to uh, understand uh, movies that you guys might like. Sometimes, though, we hope for a sequel and we're waiting for it to come. I don't know if you know what this scene is from. 
The Incredibles. Man, when this movie came out, it ended with this scene of another terror coming, waiting to be resolved, but we had to wait years and years for it to come. We just wanted the sequel to come because some movies, they leave us on a cliff edge. They, they, we want to know what's coming next. Now, I wonder if you've ever thought about whether the gospel needs a sequel. The life of Jesus, should there be more? Should there be another story, another chapter in the work that Jesus has done? what Jesus has come to do, should there be another movie, another book? Because coming out of Easter, we've hit the climax, haven't we? Jesus' death on the cross, paying for our sin, paying for the sin of the world, His resurrection, Jesus coming back to life, defeating death, defeating sin, giving us the assured hope of eternal life with Him. But what happens next? What happens after Jesus rises? Is he the king now? Why isn't he conquering the nations? Why aren't all people sitting under him as their Lord? Why does it feel like there's something missing, something more to come? Because last week we saw how crucial the resurrection is, didn't we? We saw that it gives us true hope. It changes everything. But what did Jesus do next? Where's the sequel? Well, at the end of the... Gospel of Luke, after Jesus rises from the dead, we read that Jesus appears to his disciples many times. He does some teaching and then he gets carried up into heaven. And that's the end of Luke's gospel, with Jesus going away into heaven. And as we read this morning in Acts chapter 1, we see the same sort of thing happening again. Jesus teaching his disciples and then being taken up into heaven. And so it's like we've got a recap of the first movie. And we're thinking, yes, here we go. This is the sequel. Can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do next. Except there's a problem, isn't there? The main character's gone. Jesus has left the story. He's told the apostles to go and witness. He says he'll send the Spirit, but he's out of here. It doesn't seem like the start of a great sequel, does it? What's Jesus doing? Is he just hanging out? Is he watching how things unfold? Is he having a bit of a rest, a break? Is he hoping that those apostles will get the job done by themselves? Let's have a look at what it says at the start of Acts. Verse 1 says, I wrote this first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Do you notice that key little phrase in this first verse, I wrote the first narrative, which is the book of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, Jesus, He hasn't left the story. He hasn't finished doing and teaching. The cross and the resurrection wasn't the end. It was just the start. Because this story, it's not really a sequel, it's more just a continuation on of the life of Jesus. Only now Jesus is in a different location. He's in heaven with His Father. You see, people often call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit and the Apostles and the Spirit are very key members in the book of Acts. But no, this is all about Jesus. It's all about what He continues to do and teach. 
And in verse 3, we see just what Jesus continues to do and teach. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The first thing that Jesus does in his work following his death and resurrection is to prove that he's alive. If he's going to continue his ministry, if the message that hinges on the fact that Jesus has come back from the dead is going to be told to the nations, well, then he needs to show them that he's alive, that he's a real person. That he's not a ghost, he's not an angel. And so he appears many times. For 40 days he appears, giving many convincing proofs that he is alive. He's not like Elvis or Michael Jackson or Princess Diana where you know, people claim they've seen them, maybe they're still alive. But there's no evidence, is there? It's just someone's word. But Jesus is different. He physically shows himself to his disciples time and time again. He gets them to touch his wounds. He eats food. The food doesn't fall through him. He consumes it. He is alive convincingly proved that He has risen from the dead. See, Jesus wanted to show that He isn't gone from the story. He's still working. He's the one that it's all about and He would be the one to continue building His kingdom. And so we see these plans to build the kingdom is what Jesus speaks of here in verse 4. While He was with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which He said, You have heard me speak about. But John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Jesus commands his disciples to stick around and wait for the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is going to use as a key part of building his kingdom. As the Spirit comes, his people will understand God's word. They will understand who Jesus is and what he has done. This Spirit, it unites them to Jesus in his death and resurrection, and it unites them to him in the work that he's going to be doing in building his kingdom. It's a great gift that he promises and delivers in the next few days. And with the mention of this spirit coming, the apostles, they ask a bit of an interesting question. I don't know if you picked up on this as we read the text. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus, He's just told them, shown them that He's alive. He's told them that the Spirit is coming and they ask if this means that the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Does that seem like a bit of a strange thing for them to ask? It's not what I would be asking, right? If I'd just been told I was going to receive the Holy Spirit. I think I'd be more interested in when is this Spirit going to come? What power will it give me? What will it look like as it comes on me? But instead, they ask this question about the restoration of Israel. I think they ask this because they actually know their Old Testament a lot better than I do. They know what was promised for their people. You see, at this point in history, Israel is a conquered nation. They have been conquered for a long time. The Romans are ruling at the moment. For the last 600 years, Israel had been terrorised, beaten up from all sides, from multiple different nations. But the disciples, they knew that God had promised that it wouldn't be like this forever. God had promised a king, a king from the line of David, a king that would have the Holy Spirit. Have a look at Isaiah in chapter 11. I've picked out a few verses. Verses 1 to 3, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, 
That's David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Verse 4, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Verse 12 and 13, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. These words were written at a time where Israel were being conquered. But this is the promise that God had made to his people. He promised a king, the spirit resting on him. A king that will be just, that will bring peace. One that will liberate Israel, restore them. A king from the line of Jesse, David's father. He will come. So this is the promise that the Israelites have in their minds. And then Jesus comes, right? Jesus, who does these miraculous things, who speaks of a spirit coming. And so the disciples, well, they're thinking it's time. Time for peace, time for justice, time for the kingdom of Israel to rule again. And yet they don't quite grasp what's going on fully, do they? Because they don't understand that the king is coming to rule not just Israel, but he's going to be the king of the nations too. The king is going to rule the whole world. This is Jesus' plan. Conquering all people, all nations, Israel included. And so he says to his disciples in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to rule to the ends of the earth, and you will be my witnesses to achieve this rule. With the power of my spirit, you will witness not just to Israel, but to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus, he's going to conquer the world, but not the way people thought he would. Not with an army, not with chariots, but Jesus is instead going to conquer the world through his message of salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit, through conquering human hearts as they hear the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for their sin. This is what Jesus is doing. This is the work that Luke continues to write about. This is the continuing story of Jesus' mission here on earth. Friends, Jesus is not absent. He is ruling. And where is He ruling from? Verse 9, after He had said this, He was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus the King ascends to his throne in heaven. He doesn't ascend to watch on passively. He doesn't wait around to see what will happen, see when the world will end. No, he's actively ruling the universe from his seat in heaven. He's holding all things together. He's bringing Israel, the nations, the world to himself as the word goes out through his people in the power of His Spirit. The cross paid for the debt that we owed. The resurrection defeats death and defeats sin and gives us real hope. 
but it's through the gospel continuing to go out to the ends of the earth through his people that Jesus continues to accomplish his plans of salvation. That's insane, isn't it? That really is mind-blowing that Jesus, having done all this work on the cross, securing our salvation through his death and resurrection, something only he could do as a perfect human and as God, then chooses to use the weak, sinful people like me and you to continue his work here on earth. This work, the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, at the end of Acts, it seems like it's doing exactly that. It's gone to Israel, it's gone to Samaria, it's now in Rome, it's in Ethiopia, all over Asia. And yet we know that it hasn't been finished, has it? Jesus is still in heaven. Verse 10 says, While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. We see that Jesus is going to come back when his work is done when the gospel has gone out to all the nations, when his name has been proclaimed to all people. But that hasn't happened yet, has it? It hasn't been finished. The gospel is still going out. Jesus is still conquering human hearts to this very day. He's still ruling, still calling people to himself, still building his kingdom. And he's using us through his spirit to do it. Do you understand what that means? Does that blow your mind? Do we grasp the joy, the responsibility, the privilege it is that we get to play a part in the work of the risen Lord Jesus? Do you feel like God is using you as part of building His kingdom, as part of His plans of salvation? Maybe you feel like God couldn't use you, that you're too weak, that you're too sinful, Well, it's true, isn't it? We are weak. We are sinful. And yet this is why it's so good. Because God, having ascended to His throne, sends out His Spirit to work in us. The Spirit of God is powerful. It changes us. It grows us. It helps us know and love Jesus. And through the Spirit, this is through this Spirit that Jesus uses us to do His work here on earth. It is not through our own strength that we can accomplish anything, but it is through Jesus, His work through us, by His Spirit. It was for the apostles as they went out at the start of the book of Acts, as they built the early church, and it is for us now as well. And it's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting to think, how is God going to use me How is God going to use my weakness to help build His kingdom? What will it look like for God to use you as part of His plans of salvation? Who will He bring into His kingdom through your witness in their life? Maybe He will use you to be that first conversation where Christianity is put on the agenda for the first time in someone's life. Maybe it's that work colleague who finds out that you're a Christian and asks you, what, what does that mean for you? What, what does it mean that you believe in Jesus? Maybe it will be through an invitation to your neighbour to come to the Hope Explored course starting soon. 
Maybe it would look like for you years and years and years of hard conversation to family members about why you can't make that family event because you're at church or why you make weird decisions like giving money to the church here in Toon Gabby. What will it look like for you? Maybe it's a bit of a confronting idea for you that God would use you, that God is going to use you to build His kingdom. See, I'm not saying that you need to be some sort of mega preacher or super evangelist or something like that. But I think we all play a part in helping those people in our lives who don't know Jesus hear the good news of what He has done. So I want to encourage you today. What's one step further than you've gone before? What's one step you can take to play a part in helping people hear the good news of Jesus? I think the first step for all of us should be to pray, right? Who are you praying for in your life that doesn't know Jesus? Maybe pick a couple of people, two or three people who you regularly have contact with, who are a part of your life who don't know Jesus, who you want to come into God's kingdom. Pray that God would work through you, through His Spirit. Pray that God will give you the opportunity to take that next step with them. For me, I've got three friends who I'm praying with. My brother-in-law, Brody, my school friend, Lana, and my good mate, Justin. I'm praying that they would come to know Jesus. I'm praying that God would give me the chance to take that next step with them. Maybe that next step for you is something as simple as letting someone know you're a Christian, reading your Bible at lunch at work so that someone asks you what you're doing, telling someone when they ask you what you did on the weekend that you went to church. Maybe for you, that person in your life already knows you're a Christian and the next step is asking them if they have a faith or if they've ever thought about who Jesus is. Maybe the next step is inviting them to church or Hope Explored or maybe you need to go even further and challenge someone about what it would mean for them to have Jesus as their Lord. This is where I'm at with my friend Justin. He's spent a couple of years in Korea over the last few years and he's come back in the country and we've had many conversations over the years about what it looks like uh, to be a Christian and he would say he's a Christian but nothing in his life really suggests that. And so I think the next step with me is to challenge him again. What, where are you at with Jesus? What is your relationship with him like? Is he your Lord and Saviour? Does he see the need for forgiveness and salvation? And we're all wired differently, aren't we? We're all at different stages in those conversations with our friends and family and work colleagues. But for you, for your, for your relationship with that person, what's one step further you can take than you've been before? I encourage you to think about that this week and pray that you can have that opportunity to take that step. And again, the great comfort is, isn't it, that it is not in our power, it's not in our strength, but it is in our weakness through the Spirit We don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out. God promises that in the power of His Spirit to use us as part of His work in building His kingdom. Jesus is not passive. He is not sitting in heaven watching, not involved. No, He is working in us and through us, giving us the words to say and the boldness to take that next step. At the end of this passage, we see the disciples caught stargazing, staring up into heaven. 
And they're challenged. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. Friends, Jesus is returning. It is not time to stand around and wait. It is time to be used by the risen Lord to help build his kingdom. Jesus has risen from the dead, but this was not the end of the story. This was just the beginning. Because Jesus has ascended into heaven, he is ruling all things and he is working. He is doing. He is building his kingdom, bringing all things under him, gathering his people from the ends of the earth, all nations coming together under Christ. And through his spirit, he uses us, his people, to be a part of it. He will return and so while we wait, we wait actively, preaching the hope that we have, preaching the good news of Jesus to those who don't know him yet. How do I pray and ask him that he will help us to do that this week? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness, we have salvation, we have the hope of eternal life. Well, thank you that not only do you save us, but you choose to use us as part of your plan to build your kingdom, to bring all things together under Christ. Well, what a joy, what a privilege this is. Please help us to, to actively be a part of it. Please use us through your Spirit to preach the gospel into the lives of those who don't know you yet. Give us boldness, give us courage to take that next step. And please use us for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.